In this market, it's harder to grow. And when you do, there are more operational distractions slowing your momentum. By building and maintaining a global payments and billing system, or reconciling revenue data. Paddle and Profitwell are coming together to take the load off your finance and engineering teams. We make subscription billing, payments, tax, and growth products that do it for you. In turn, you focus on what really matters, your team, customers, and products. Find out more at paddle.com. If I was doing this over again, I think we would have had a little bit more of like a focused M&A just strategy like over the years, even in some of the best advice I got after all this was, um, yeah, like going forward, like you should have a slide on your board deck that basically is like, here are potential people you can acquire. Even if you don't have a relationship with them, here's the status of that. Just to kind of think through it, because we ran into this like very reactive, like it was kind of, you described this about fundraising where it's like all of a sudden, like oh my God, I'm in a process. Like I didn't even realize it until you've been talking to someone for a few weeks. And so that's kind of how it was with us. But uh, yeah, it was it was definitely a very huge, huge learning experience and I'm glad I went to it. Hey everyone, welcome back to the SaaS Revolution show brought to you by SaaStock, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth and scale. I'm your host, Alex Thuma and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show. Chrissy and Owens, CEO of Paddle, and Patrick Campbell, Chief Strategy Officer of Paddle. I think it's the first time. Captain Strategy. This little question there. Captain Strategy (laughs) is the actual target name, but yeah, 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 Chief Strategy Officer. Captain Strategy. All right. So, well, guys, like first time I think we've had you on the podcast together. There's obviously a reason for that. There's been, uh, it's been a big month uh, for both of you. Uh, Christian, you raised a little bit of money uh, earlier this month and, uh, and Patrick, somebody bought ProfitWell. Uh, so let's just talk about, about that a little bit. Uh, I mean, so Christian, uh, what happened at the beginning of the month? You raised the Series D, is that right? We did. Um, we raised a Series D for, of $200 million um, from KKR. Um, it's been a very interesting time to raise money just in the world. Um, mm-hmm. So excited that we got that done. Yeah, and then awesome. um, part of that uh, was used to buy ProfitWell. Um, and so we have joined Paddle, um, of, or uh, publicly as of this week um and you know it's been it's been a fun ride so far congratulations uh well to to, to both of you as you said christian uh, uh the markets are are, are very strange uh, uh probably a, a, an understatement to so to raise it's very difficult to raise in these times uh at the moment i probably wouldn't didn't think we'd be saying in these times since uh since covid but we've got uh these weird times uh at the moment and then uh, you've gone and spent a bunch of it, not all of it, but uh, I mean, pretty much um, the acquisition price for ProfitWell was exactly what uh, what you've raised. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, let's let's focus. So we could probably do a whole episode on you know raising uh, a Series D round of two hundred million uh, in these times, in these strange times. But uh, but we'll focus on the M and A today and uh, on, on this uh, announcement that you did this week about buying uh, ProfitWell for two hundred million dollars. Uh, 
So did you already spend all of the money or how much of that 200 million has gone on, uh, on profit? Well, uh, well, it was an all, it was not an all cash deal. It was a cash and an equity deal. Um, basically, uh, Christian wants to make sure that, uh, this is my prison now. No, that was too rough. No, Christian wants to make sure that uh, obviously we're incentivized. And I think the upside, that was a really big piece of why we want to go to paddle is just in terms of like what that equity is going to be worth in the next three, four or five years. Um, and, you know, into the next decade, I would argue just based on the shifts happening in the world of SaaS and us riding that particular shift, I think better than anyone else. And so, yeah, I'm pretty, pretty excited. Yeah. And for us, it was really you know, it's coincidental that the two numbers are the same, um, sort of rather than anything deliberate. Um, kind of for us, it was important that like one kind of Patrick and the Profit Well team from a, a cash perspective felt like that they've been working on this thing for 10 years. So it was important that that was a component of the deal. Um, and it was also important that sort of we wanted to build something together um, over the next several years. So that equity piece was a huge portion of the deal as well. So it's a split. We're not disclosing the split, um, but kind of paddle and the combined business is sort of really well capitalized sort of now for the next several years for us to be able to go and execute. So 200 is not your favorite number. It was just a coincidence. So. No, it's my favorite number this month. Yeah, yeah, it's, it seems to be. Uh, uh, so let, let's start at the beginning then. Uh, how did this happen? Who approached who? Were you in the lift together at you know the paddle office and you know said, uh, you know, why don't we get together? Like, how did it start? Yeah, it's a good question. I think um, it it really started. I would argue, what six years ago? Yeah, um, five or six. Yeah, uh, Christian. Uh, we had come to London to interview Christian and a number of other folks for um, some of our content and. I think what was really interesting is that where this really comes from is alignment of like both vision and values. I think that's a really big thing that not a lot of people think about when it comes to M&A because there are like M&A, you know, activities that occur where it's just like kind of all about the money, all about EBITDA, these types of things. Um, for this one, it was very much like we weren't looking to sell, but we were looking for someone that, you know, had the same vision and we could kind of continue going. And six years ago when I had interviewed Christian, like, Literally leaving the office, I called Facundo, our head of product, and was like, um, there, were, there was like two parts of the conversation. One of them, I don't know if you know, but one of the parts of the conversation was like, this is the first person I've met in this space who thinks like us. Um, and thinks like us is like very, what we call do it for you at Paddle, which is basically like, we believe that like, when we build a retention product, we do it for you in terms of retention. When we build like a billing product for tax, these types of things, we do it for you, that kind of concept. Um, and then the other part was if uh, I was like, Faku, if we ever thought we were going to go into billing, we need to go into billing now because he's going <laughs> to fucking build it before we're going to get there. And so, um, yeah, that was the that was the big thing. And then more practically, uh, basically fall of last year, we were like, we knew we were going to have to raise money into 2022. And Christian kind of got in front and was like, well, what if we join forces? And it was something that we had to kind of like take a week or two, to like even just kind of internalize if we emotionally could do that. And thankfully we could. And yeah, rest is the rest is history near history at least um, uh, I, I guess also just kind of for those non-native uh, english speakers that are listening so we've got a global audience patrick is not saying fuck you he's saying his, his co-founder is called Faku, right <laughs> yeah yeah facundo, yeah. facundo. Yeah. he's argentinian Faku. Yeah. um the irish uh folks say it in a very very unique way so uh yeah like it's Faku, you know to people who are from <laughs> ireland so anyways yeah it's Faku. 
Okay. All right. I don't, I don't know whether you're swearing me or not, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll move on. Uh, and Patrick, but you bootstrapped for 10 years. So why, why sell now? Like, you know, why is the time now? Um, and maybe the second part of it, like, can we actually get you on the bootstrapping stage at SASDOT this year? Like, is that still, you know, is that still okay? It's the last time time I'm allowed to be on that stage probably this year. Um, Oh, I think like for us, it was, um, we, we were having too many, and I I think a bootstrap company, um, when you run into the problem where you're having too many $10,000 arguments, like you're having too many arguments about like, you know, oh, there's these five things we can do. They all, you know, require funding and we just don't have it because we're writing, you know, our cash flows. That's the point where you have to either, hey, we're going to be a very profitable business and we're going to run it that way and that's going to be very intentional or we have to go raise money. And, And for us, it was, again, it was very like, who could possibly have a similar vision of us of like, you know, not building product where the user has to do the work, but building product where like, it's just done for you. Like who else has that vision? Um, and thankfully like, you know, we we knew the guy and we knew the people in the space who had that. Um, and that was, you know, that, that was kind of where it came of like, Oh, our work is going to have more multiplicative effect joining forces than like staying it alone. And it got to the point where we were like, well, if we wanted to stay alone at this point, it would just be ego. And, you know, it's never, never great to make, I think, big decisions off ego. I would say as well, like in addition to that kind of meeting in London um, where we filmed some content, I'd say Sastock probably plays a reasonable part in kind of why this happened. I think for probably, I think over the last like two years, us sort of spending time together has been more intentional. Like it's been like, oh, I'm going to go to Boston or like we're in the city or whatever. Um, I think before that, for like the three, two, three years after kind of Patrick came to London, basically we would, the the week a year that we would spend yeah. sort of like talking about this kind of thing in the future and, and just hanging out was sort of was in Dublin. Um, so I think that's probably... It's not necessarily where the deal happened, but I don't think the deal would have happened if we didn't yeah. sort of spend time together at, at those those Sastock events. Yeah. So you got to hit Christian up for your carry, Alex. That's what he's yeah. trying to well, say. So. Yeah, somebody did say that last night uh, when I was having dinner, and I was, uh, uh, you know, it's a discussion to be had. One of one of my um, uh, EO forum uh, uh, buddies, but um, oh, got uh, it. but yeah. So, and and uh, but I assume so. Like you're having the you started the conversation. Like okay, like you know why don't we become one company or you know why don't why don't we acquire uh, like Profitwell? Uh, but PC, I assume then like whilst the vision, the values, you you, you know uh, you, you 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 know you, you like Christian. Uh, you can see you guys working together. But I assume it wasn't the only company that you you spoke to, right? You probably have to do the the diligent thing. So did you go out to market? Who else did you speak with? How did that help with negotiations and, uh, and with the price? Uh, you're, you're asking me about, uh, who I dated before marrying Christian here. Um, no, yeah. I think, uh, like we, I'll say that we spoke to all the obvious parties. Um, and, um, I think it was, what was kind of cool about it was, I think when you're building and it doesn't really matter if you're bootstrapped or venture backed or whatever, like it always feels like everything's terrible. Like you suck. Like, I mean, it depends on your personality, but for us um, building, it was like, we're never pretty. We're never great. Everything's terrible. And then it was like, Oh, like we have some value. Like we didn't even realize. Right. Because I think that's the thing that like, you know, if, if I was doing this over again, I think we would have had a little bit more of like, 
a focused M&A kind of um, just strategy like over the years, even in some of the best advice I got after all this was, um, yeah, like going forward, like you should have a slide on your board deck that basically is like, here are the people that like are potential acquirers. Here are potential people you can acquire even if you don't have a relationship with them, here's the status of that just to kind of think through it because we ran into this like very reactive, like it was kind of, you described this about fundraising where it's like all of a sudden like, Oh my God, I'm in a process. Like I didn't even realize it until you've been talking to someone for a few weeks. And so that's kind of how it was with us. But uh, yeah, it was, it was definitely a very huge, huge learning experience that I'm glad I went to. Can, can you shed some light? Um, you know, how long did the process take and are you able to break it down for the listeners and, and viewers into steps like what are the key things you had to do on the sell side and then christian same question for you on the buy side maybe like what, what were some of the key things that you had to go through okay i can talk yeah. buy side first because we probably started the process a little bit earlier mm-hmm. um sort of probably july august time we started kind of talking about it thinking about it um this is last year um and then kind of I think the first time I kind of set up, I just like randomly dropped a Zoom call onto Patrick's calendar, um, probably sometime in October. Um, and sort of my goal of that was like literally just put the idea in his head um, because like it's a kind of thing that you have to think about for a few weeks. Um, and then I think I flew to Boston November. Yeah. Um, so I flew to Boston November. Um, we got Faku there and, and sort of, um, and kind of Patrick came in and sort of, we basically spent two days in a room, um, just the three of us kind of, I don't think either side had decided like whether they wanted to do it or not. And it was more of a, like, let's get every possible piece of information out on the table. On the yeah. table. Um, and then Patrick can probably give the next phase. Yeah. And so then Faku uh, Peter and I basically had a, would we even be willing to do this kind of like a thing? And then what, what I think a lot of people don't realize is like, it's so, it's so like spectrum and gray because it's like, yeah, at a certain value we would do, of course we would sell. Right. But what ends up happening, and this was some really good advice we got from uh, Chris Rodano, who's on our board, which was like, take all the potential acquirers and then like, what's the like, basically like what's the value you'd sell to them. Right. And so there are certain like folks that like the stock is liquid. So it's a little bit more obvious to like, see, you know, where, where that would be. There's other folks where it's like, we, you could not pay us enough to go work there, but there is a number. So the number is, you know, X plus a bunch. Right. And so that was like a really interesting exercise. And then, um, and then it was like, it, it's almost spits out an expected value formula, right? Because then you can add like culture fit or perceived culture fit, you know, those types of things. And all of a sudden it spits out like, you know, what that valuation would need to be. And um, then there's kind of like a convergence, you know, around, you know, that of like who the potential parties are. And so um, we, I, I think it's kind of funny because like this, this both obviously started with paddle and ended with paddle, but I think what was really interesting is in the middle, 
you know, we talked to a bunch of people and we talked to a bunch of like folks that we really admire, which I think is really cool. And you talk to them and they like you, you like them. And that's kind of awesome. But I think at the end of the day, it was, it was, you know, going out, having all those conversations. I was actually going to take the entire month of January off. Uh, that was something that was decided like, you know, basically in June of last year. And then it was that like, didn't that's not happening. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. So I would say to make that practical, uh, December, talked to a bunch of folks, flew out here to have like more conversations with paddle. Um, and then, um, basically everything kind of came to a head at the worst time ever, which was the week before Christmas through the first week of January. Um, yeah, like we were, um, we were stalling mildly because we needed to get a little more information from like one last party before like making a final decision. And then we planned on basically signing the term sheet on a Monday, but we had not brought in our like core team yet. Like they, some of them knew that there was stuff going on, but like we, we, we would not have made a decision by like Fiat, like this, the founder or just the execs like making a decision. We brought in about 10 people gave them all the options, gave them all the information. And then we're like, all right, we're going to walk away. You guys debate this and come back to us with what you think we should do. And then no matter what you think, we are going to take the opposite side and like debate it. So we spent about eight hours together that Sunday. Um, and then at the end it was, it was, it was pow. Yeah. yeah. And then I think we signed a time sheet officially January 10th. Yeah. Somewhere around yeah. there. Yeah. Um, and then kind of, sort of two things started like we started doing our diligence on profit well which was a fun process and i'd say that's probably another learning that we've like discussed after this for um like since this happened for the bootstrappers is if it is ever your intention to sell the business at some point start early start early like operationally start early like kind of have all the stuff in order like make sure kind of from a like finance perspective, you're kind of running stuff. Make sure you're keeping kind of records of things. It's not like that with profit. Well, those things didn't exist. <laughs> a lot was, of them did not exist. So it, it's like, it's it, yeah. like if, Oh, this person left and they're in a Dropbox account that they yeah. had, we know that we have them, but it's sort of like, they're not super organized or like, here's, whatever. here's what to do once you're at product market fit and you, you can define that however you want. Let's say you're doing a million a year. Let's say you're doing a hundred thousand a year, but you're, you know, indie go to a lawyer who's involved in M&A and say, what do I need to do to quote prep the company for sale? That's what you need to do. Those are like some key words because what he or she will tell you is basically like, Oh, we need to get your operating docs in order. Hey, put all these PDFs in one place. Like we had heard prep the company for sale and we had talked about that like a couple years ago, but we didn't get lawyers involved because, Oh, lawyers cost money. And like lawyers do cost money for a reason. They cost a lot of money as we found out. Um, but I think it's one of those things like that would have been helpful or that would have saved some pain in the DD process um, kind of going forward. Yeah. It's also like one of those things where money spent then would have been money saved now. Yeah. yeah, yeah like yeah. orders of magnitude. Sure. Like money, yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. it's kind of, you spend 20 grand back then to get the stuff in order. 200 and then grand now. Sort of, yeah, and it's 10x that when you actually kind of like the additional kind of fees that you end up paying kind of when it's about sort of finding things or kind of cleaning things up. And then from from that kind of term sheet and sort of starting the diligence process, um, I went out to raise money. Um, so I kicked that process off probably towards the end of January, um, spent a couple of weeks pulling together a deck and kind of materials and things like that, um, which was 
interesting because like January things were still pretty good market wise in January or they were like they were like we were on the precipice. Um, Should have signed the term sheet a week before. Yeah, um, yeah. and so I kind of kicked that off basically end of January, early February. Um, kind of had a list of people who I'd known for years um, uh, that I wanted to speak to. Um, there was sort of, and then we kind of added a bunch of people to that list, sort of that could probably do a transaction this size that we'd never really had a relationship with. Mm. Um, Cause a lot of the funds, you know, they can write a, a, a hundred million, $200 million check, um, but it's a stretch for them. So there was this new, whole new group of people who writing a $200 million check was the small stuff like that they yeah. do. And those people I didn't necessarily have a relationship with. So kind of, there was quite a few people on that list where actually we were kind of like, this is the first or second call that I was ever having with them. And maybe I'd met them at an event or kind of been for coffee. Um, that was a very intense process. We basically did, um, I made a decision and it kind of comes back to that other, the thing that Patrick said earlier of like finding yourself in a process. Um, that's basically how I've found myself raising money in the past. Like you start talking to a couple of people and then you talk to a couple of people like the next week and you talk to a couple of people the next week. And then suddenly you have a cohort of investors that you're talking to that are two weeks more progressed in their thinking than the latest people that you spoke to. Um, And it kind of causes sort of issues of like, Oh, you get a term sheet and then someone's three weeks away from giving you a term sheet because they have more work to do. So I made the very deliberate decision to say, I'm going to block out a week and I'm going to do like 50 meetings in the week. Um, and I'm going to give everybody the same set of information at the beginning of the week and give everybody the same set of information at the end of the week. Um, and then sort of we can decide who we want to proceed with from there. Um, that was definitely the most intense week of my life. Um, it was like 18 plus hour days of like kind of 18 hours of calls yeah. um, of like you can get up time zones. Yeah. Yeah. You can get up to go to the bathroom and get a glass of water and pretty much nothing else. Um, but kind of at the end of that week, we had sort of a, a then a group of people that we wanted to take forward and, and sort of we went through that process. And um, I think we signed, I can't remember exactly when we signed term sheet, probably first of, it was pretty close to the first of April, I want to say. The term sheet? Uh, with the investors. That was, no, oh, no, sorry. It was, yeah, that was March. Like signing, like signing. It was signing, sort yeah. of, um, it was, yeah, it was mid-March. And then we kind of, got to like final sort of everything kind of in April. Um, I think it was a little, it doesn't matter. It was a little earlier, but yeah. 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 Uh, and then I can't actually remember when we actually officially signed everything. We closed both deals at the same time. Oh, that's right. So there was a split there. Yeah. We signed like April 8th ish speaks. It's funny. Like that date's so important to you up until then. And then afterwards you're just yeah. like, I have no idea when that was, but yeah. Do you, do you think, I mean, just quickly on the, on the fundraise, then do you think if you started the process now, it's uh, for listeners viewers, it's the 27th of May. Do you think if you started that and wanted to raise 200 million now, do you think if that would have gone through um, like given where the markets are? I honestly think that the timing on this was perfect for two reasons. I think if we'd started maybe a month or two earlier, the fund rate, so that we raised $200 million at like a $1.4 billion valuation. I think if we'd done it two months earlier, it probably would have been like a $4 billion valuation. Yeah. Um, and that sounds great, but like it handicaps, it would be, that would be kind of, that would be a valuation that we now have to like really grow into. Um, and I think if we tried to do it now, um, it would be, not impossible, but it would be very difficult 
I think given the the fundraising environment and the amount of money that we were raising, it'd be very difficult to get that done. Um, mostly because I think a lot of these these large late stage crossover kind of type funds um, have sort of excluded themselves from the market for a while. Yeah. Um, so I think sort of it would have been particularly tricky. I think even to for them to entertain those conversations. I think this transaction was a, like a little bit special in that obviously some of the, the kind of funds were being used for, for, uh, to do a deal and to kind of grow the combined business. Um, and I think that there are, there are a bunch of funds who would s- still do that deal yeah. um, because they understand it. Um, but there was definitely a marked difference in uh, I, during that process between the funds who have been around for, four or five years and they've kind of, they've come up over what has been one of the greatest bull markets in history. Um, and they've never really invested through a period of, of any kind of downturn. And then folks like KKR, who we raised from, who have been doing this for decades. Um, and they've seen every possible kind of boom bust cycle. Um, and they recognize that the way to run their business is to keep investing kind of through it. And maybe the market changes and some of the terms change and things like that. But um, sort of that is how they run their business. So, there was a distinct like two groups of people. Um, and I think that one of those groups of people, i.e. the people who have seen it before, are still doing deals. But actually, there's a lot of funds and people have come out of bigger funds who are, they've been around for three, four, five years. Yeah. I think the big thing to keep in mind is like, great companies are going to get funded in any cycle. It's just the terms or the valuations may be like, not as crazy as they were like a year or two ago. Um, which I, I don't know, there's, there's a huge debate of whether that's good or bad or whatever it is. I think like right now, what we're seeing in the market is a lot of, uh, companies like, you know, again, if like you're, if we would have raised at a three and a half billion dollar valuation or something like that, like, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to grow into it. It's really hard to grow into something that like, you know, feels good for an announcement, but isn't necessarily great, you know, going forward. Especially when you look at public markets right now, um, and sort of, like the mean like kind of revenue multiple where we're trading at right now is like 5.3 X sort yeah, of in the market revenue. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we went up to like 17 X in the public <laughs> markets over the last sort of 12 months, 24 months. But if you look, if you extend that chart backwards, like the historical average is about five to six times revenue. Like um, it's not like it's, it's not like it being five times now is sort of the aberration. It was the period of, 24 months ago where it was 17 X that was. Yeah. Um, so obviously if you raise a much higher multiple and the multiple maintains in the future to be five, six, seven times revenue, like you have to grow into that kind of valuation. Yeah. On, on the, on the acquisition uh, side, what was the hardest part of, of getting the deal done? Was there ever a moment where you thought the deal would fall apart uh, and did conversations ever get heated or was it just, you know, was it nice and rosy all the way through? I think there were probably several moments um, where I didn't think there was ever a moment where it was like, oh, this is all going to completely blow up. Yeah. But I think there were several moments where it was like, uh, there's a lot of moving pieces and are we actually going to be able to square everything and, and, and get it done? I think as we kind of progressed through that process, um, I think the sort of, it's kind of like it's like for all of the people who build software like on this it's sort of when you start building something you you have a 
fairly clear idea of what it's going to, how, how complex it's going to be in your mind, like when yeah. you start building it. And then as you build it, kind of, you kind of go up this curve and suddenly like everything's getting more complex and more complex and more complex and more complex as you progress through it. And at some point you hit a, you hit a kind of a, a point in the process where you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Like, you know what the finish line looks like, but until that kind of everything is increasing in complexity and, um, and sort of decreasing in certainty that this, these things are going to happen until you actually kind of have a full picture of what's going on. So I think we probably went into the process naively. Um, yeah, 100%. Being like, okay, this is fairly simple. Yeah, we already did the hard part. Yeah, so. like we've negotiated the price. That's <laughs> that's the difficult bit. We just need to do some documentation now. Yeah. And actually we were completely wrong. Like the work began um, at that point and then it was probably sort of a month of that getting... Yeah. sort of much more complex. Well, and then you think that, so there's two big processes that at least we encountered. I think it's pretty common. You have the diligence part and then you have kind of like the the term or the agreement. So you get through diligence, which is kind of like painful and you're like, oh, there's only like four weeks till close. Like we're kind of done, right? Like this is all like we're past this. And it's like, no, the agreement then becomes like, you don't even read it and that sounds scary, but like, it's, it's like a hundred pages plus a hundred pages of disclosures. Right. And the lawyers, you're literally going back and forth on like every bullet and it's stuff that like, we don't even know. And so like mostly not stuff we don't know, but it's like, you have to make decisions on, okay, well, okay. What does this mean? Well, it means this. No, no, no. Explain it to me like I'm a two year old. <laughs> and then what is the implication here? Right. And that's why, like I was telling him, it was like, I would love to do this like over again, just in the sense of, cause, cause I kind of know what's coming. And then I can kind of like one help, you know, tame some of the anxiety of like, well, is this normal? Is it not normal? Because I didn't, I didn't know if some requests were normal or some lawyers being a little, you know, chippy was normal, those types of things. Um, yeah, I don't think there was any, I, I think both groups were very earnest. Like once we decided on the term sheet, we were like, like everyone was in, everyone was like trying to make this happen. Um, there were just lawyers doing their jobs of like, oh, this is terrible. Oh, that teal term is not good. Like all that kind of stuff that, that had to be dealt with essentially. That's how they make their money. Yeah. Lawyers always and, win. Yeah. And the, the purchase now means that uh, I guess kind of a paddle has a revenue of almost a hundred million uh, ARR. You're kind of like on, on that track, right? Uh, I like your vodka impression. Uh, you can, your vodka yeah, yeah, impression is yeah. really good. You can speculate whatever yeah. revenue yeah. is that you'd like. Yeah. Uh, and then, but with, with regards to like IPO, didn't 100 million used to be a kind of like a good benchmark uh, yeah, of when, yeah. when people would, would uh, IPO? But what is it now? Is it like 300 million, 200? Like, uh, I think it's somewhere between. Depends on the market, right? Yeah. Like, I think in this market, who knows? No one now. Yeah. No, I wouldn't <laughs> would not want to be taking a company public right now. But in this market, I would say it's probably somewhere between two and 400 million. Um, but I think it depends on a lot of things. It depends on like, are you true SaaS? Um, what do the gross margins look like? Are you yeah. profitable? Um, sort of what's the growth rate? I think um, it also I think, depends on like. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think like net revenue retention is probably yeah. one of the most important kind of public SaaS metrics if you look at Snowflake and others right now. Yeah. I think it's just also like, where's the market going to go? Like people are keeping their companies private longer and longer because there's a lot of advantages to that. In this new market, like especially going in the next couple of years, if you take a really bearish case, there might be a reason to go public, right? Because private markets might actually get harder. I don't think that'll be the case, but 
I don't know. It'll just be really weird to see how it evolves over the next couple of years. Yeah. On to, on to the fun things, just conscious of time. Uh, Patrick, first thing you purchased after the money hit your bank. I have a gratuitous thing I purchased, but uh, I don't, I actually don't know. I'm, I'm not like a car guy. I'm not like a, like, oh my God, like literally holiday, holiday literally the Monday after holiday. the money hit the, the account, I was like working 15 hours. So it's just like, yeah, it's, um, no, I did, I did buy, I will say, here's a fun thing, a nice little clip. I bought a egregiously expensive coffee grinder. Uh, that's, it's a work of art. Uh, and that's how I justify it to myself. I like over-engineered things. Um, but yeah, there's, there's no plans to buy any fancy things or anything like that, except for obviously a fancy coffee grinder. Yeah. And my, my, we, we've obviously known each other since I think pre SASLOT 2016, from what I know about you, I think you like colder climates than warmer climates. But I understand you're warming, you're you're moving to Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico, Puerto um, Rico. Yeah. And um, like, is it for the weather? Um, you know, why why would you be moving there? Yeah, I like I like when you answer questions you know the answer to. I know it's for the pod, but it's fun. Uh, so there's there's a couple of reasons. So one, um, I've only ever lived in cold climates, um, and my better half and I. We've always talked about um, living in like a warmer climate at some point, um, or at least testing it out. Or, you know, it's like when you're dreaming as a couple, you're always like, oh, it'd be really cool to have a place in a warm climate, a place in a cold climate. You know, basically, we're, we all are like, we become snowbirds over time, um, just really early in life. Um, and so when, when this was going through, Paddle's a remote company. We started thinking about like, are we going to stay in Utah? What are we going to do? Um, and basically, um, you know, started talking to lawyers, and lawyers were like, oh, there's this Puerto Rican. Act 60, which is um, basically a, a tax incentive program. Um, and so we started looking at Puerto Rico, visited a number of times, and then kind of decided like, yeah, let's do this. So at least for the next few years, um, we're getting into kid territory. And so we don't have to worry about schools quite yet, that type of a thing. And so, yeah, moving to Puerto Rico, going to be splitting my time basically between there and Utah, and then obviously events and all kinds of fun stuff. And Christian, uh, you filmed the whole thing, the whole uh, uh, sort of process in terms of uh, uh, acquiring uh, ProfitWell, turned it into a documentary, uh, We Sign Tomorrow, uh, I, I believe this is it, WeSignTomorrow.com. We Tell yep. us about that. Um, you, you know, why did you do it? And did you ever regret having the cameras there, like, all the time as you were going through <laughs> it? Um, short answer is yes, I can say yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, also, like a lot of this was like on Zoom as well. So sort of uh, a lot of it, we were able to kind of record Zoom calls and voice chats and kind of voice memos and things like that. And then sort of had the cameras around as well. Um, I don't think I regretted having the cameras there. I think like looking back on it, I think at the time I was like, this is like literally I can think of doing nothing worse than sort of having somebody follow me around with a camera to a meeting. Yeah. Um, now looking back on it, I'm really proud of the thing that, that it's kind of all credit goes to um, to Andrew Davies, our CMO, and um, Pip Piper, who's the director um, of the the documentary. Um, but sort of looking back on it, really proud of the thing that we've managed to put together. I think it's sort of uh, a really interesting story. I don't think you necessarily get kind of an inside look into the to doing a transaction like this and sort of all of the the ups, downs, sort of heartbreak, emotions and things that go into it. Um, and yeah, so I think that I definitely sort of next time I'm doing a stressful thing, probably my first reaction won't be film me. Um, but <laughs> but I am but it should be genuine, content. Yeah, genuinely kind of really happy with the, the, the result. 
the disclosure i've never like i've never watched made in chelsea or anything like that but um obviously i'm aware of uh, uh, what it is was was there anything like where okay you you're doing a scene or they're filming you and they're like okay no christian need do it again but like say this instead of that and make it more dramatic were there any kind of like uh, lines that were fed no, uh, no a bit more drama we're not a- we're not a reality television show, uh, Alex. Yeah. No, I, I think uh, it's a documentary, not reality TV. Yeah. No, no, yeah, it's 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 yeah, it's definitely. Documentary. I mean, there were some things where, like Pip and the crew would be like, "Hey, we want you to like like like," because there's definitely like like this, like we are clearly being filmed and talking to a camera. Yeah. Um, but those were for like filling in context and those types of things. Yeah, like, they're like an interview, like the interview yeah, portion of, totally. of, of a documentary. Sure, there was like, can you explain that in more detail? Or can you kind of say that again? Or can you go through that? But all of the other stuff, um, us, and, raw. us and meetings, yeah. Zoom calls, sort of everything is, is, is yeah, it's pretty raw. Um, I would say the, I'd say the most interesting thing about this sort of, like the film is uh, sort of like half an hour or something like that. We didn't want to make it kind of too long because obviously you, you definitely could make it like really long and subject people to the, the pain of those sort of it's the director's cut. It's six hours long. Yeah. Um, but the it's only about half an hour long, but we probably filmed maybe sort of like tens of hours of, yeah, of yeah, like yeah. kind of footage and, and things like that. So I think one of the things we will be doing is we probably have content now for the next year um, just in terms of like a lot of those things and kind of all of the derivatives um, once the documentary is out um, that we can create kind of behind the scenes stuff like deep dives into specific kind of processes or things that we went through um, kind of to, to share that with people as well. I think it's going to be really interesting for, for SaaS businesses and others. Yeah. Um, I think there's a bunch of things that you can kind of pick up and learn. Um, and we're also like, we don't, pretend like this isn't like a tech crunch headline like we don't pretend that this was easy we don't pretend that everything's good news in it um sort of like it's all very raw and you get to see sort of the ups and downs and sort of all of the emotions that kind of go into doing something like this when it when is the documentary out uh we are screening it in person in barcelona um a couple in, of weeks in a couple of weeks uh so we're doing a first in-person screening there um and then it will come out probably sort of digitally digitally in mid-june uh sometime and it'll be available kind of youtube we sign tomorrow.com um sort of amazon prime kind of all of the places you can watch stuff it will be available netflix uh, is trying to option it right now we're not really sure no i'm just kidding it's not gonna be on netflix but yeah um, and uh, a final question. That, um, so Paddle and Profit Well now own the largest combined floor space at Sastock uh, in Dublin this year. What can we expect that you're going to do with that? We've actually been we've actually been talking about this a lot. Like obviously we, we love stuff. We love Sastock. We probably do have more floor space than we know what to do with. So we plan on using some of it to do something fun. Um, all of it will be fun. All of it will be fun, but some some of it will be sort of fun like for the attendees, like to just sort of like hang out kind of, I don't know what it's going to be yet, but it will be, be something that you don't expect. Um, Depends how much budget I can get. That's yeah. really what matters. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. So, well, given not all of the 200 was uh, spent on the acquisition, I think there'll be some left, uh, uh, we hope. Um, but yeah. guys, um, thank you so much for taking time to, to be on the podcast. Great to have you on the show uh, together. Um, I, I love this uh, uh, coming together uh, and SAS not playing a, 
a small part in it uh, as well. We'll talk about the carry uh, sort of later. But uh, great stuff, uh, uh, Christian Owens and, and Patrick Campbell. Thanks so much for being on the SaaS Revolution show today. Cool. Thanks, yeah, Alex. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SASDOC conferences around the world. Want exclusive SAS content and actionable insights to grow your SAS? Join our community of over 36,000 SAS founders at sasdoc.com.